is a Senegal SST unit from the past summer, and we're going to be presenting um, our experiences and telling you a little bit about the history of Senegal. So first of all, I don't know how many of you know where Senegal is, but it is on the very western tip of Africa. Um, it's a country about the size of Kansas, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Um, and it's in the sub-Sahara region, so it is mostly dry with a rainy season that is consists of um, brief periods of rain, but it's not continuously rainy throughout. Um, the population is majority Muslim, consisting of about 95% um, Sufi Muslim, which is um, a little bit more of a mystical Muslim uh, branch. Uh, we also have, let me see here. French is the, the main language due to the colonial presence of France for most of Senegal's history. Uh, and it was used as a major trading center for all of West Africa as a whole. Um, and that was kind of their, their base of operations. And because of that, French is still the main uh, language after Senegal gained independence in 1960. Um, this was due to Sangor, who was the first president of Senegal. And he was trying to unify all the different ethnic groups that are present in Senegal um, with one language as a way of bridging them. And so that was why French became the language. So French is used for business and school, and that's where most people learn French. Um, but the two main ethnic groups, and there's quite a few other ethnic groups, but the Serer and the Wolof um, are the two main ethnic groups, and they each have their own languages. So we learned Wolof as that was the, the main language used in the areas we were visiting, but Serer was also fairly commonly used. Good morning, everyone. And I'm going to be talking to you about our study portion, so the first six weeks that we were in Senegal. So the first few days that we were there, we spent at John Hoffman, which was a school, guest house, church kind of place, where we ended up having our classes. That's the, the building on the left there. And after we had a few orientation meetings and tours around the neighborhood within those first few days, um, we met our host families and went to our separate houses. Up on the screen is my host mother, my little sister, and my little brother. And after that first weekend, we, be, we began our regular schedule of going to school. So a typical schedule for many of us was walking to school, which tended to be about a half hour long walk through neighborhoods and walking past mosques and trying to uh, stay out of the way of herds of cattle that were going through the streets. Um, and once we got to school, we'd have about an hour of Wolof class, which Alex was talking about, um, with our professor, Yasin Diata. Um, and on the left there is the, a stadium that many of us walked past and we used as a landmark for a lot of our tours. Um, then after Wolof class, we would have just about a half hour break, and then we'd go into an hour and a half of French class with our professor, Biran Sen, which he's up there on the screen. And during that time, we'd have a chance to uh, work through dialogues and talk about our weekends, practice our French, talking about our weekends. And uh, sometimes we'd even go into um, discussions uh, like talking about what we would change in the world and um, if we had the power to do anything, what we would what we'd be able to do. And after those classes, we usually came to the consensus that Iran was expecting a bit more than what we could give him with our <laughs> French skills. 
Um, and after French class, we'd all um, head back to our houses around 12 and have lunch with our families. And I, I lived with a Muslim family, so that usually meant that I ate, I ate lunch alone because it was during Ram the month of Ramadan when we were there, and that, which is a fasting month for Muslims. Um, and then in the later afternoon at about 2.30, we'd walk, walk back to school and we'd have another two hours of lectures on, on the country of Senegal, and that could be anywhere from history and art or environmental concerns, any of those things. And then after our lectures, we'd go back home and spend the evening with our families. And that was a typical schedule for Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. And then for, for most weekends or Friday, yeah, Fridays, we would go on some field trips um, most, most of the weeks. And the first week that we were there, we went to Dakar, the capital of Senegal, which was about two hours away and right on the coast, um, right on the westernmost tip of the continent. Um, and in Dakar, we visited a number of um, different historical places, like the African Renaissance statue that's up there. And we also visited Gore Island, which is a historical slave trading point for Western Africa. Um, and the, I think about the second week, we went to, we visited a monastery, and we went to Lac Rose, which we were told was, it's in the name, it's a pink lake because of the salt deposits, but as you saw in the first picture of our presentation, it wasn't very pink when we went. <laughs> um, it was still very beautiful, but it was kind of a cloudy day, so we didn't get to see it. Um, we also visited San Luis, which was another big port city um, that we learned a lot about because it has been suffering a lot of, um, a lot of the effects of climate change, um, mainly uh, coastal erosion. Um, so there are a lot of fishing villages and families that are living right up on the coast and rely pretty heavily on fishing as a source of income. Um, but with rising sea levels, the houses and buildings are falling into the ocean, literally, um, quite often, every so often. Yeah. And we also visited Tuba, um, which is the mosque on the right there. Um, it's a pretty important religious city for Muslims in Senegal, and there's a large pilgrimage there yearly. <clears throat> on the left there are the fishing boats in San Luis. On the right, on the coast of the coast of the city, um, and later on in the last two weeks or so, we visited Ndem and Beersheba, um, which later became service locations for a few of us there. Um, and they're both uh, smaller projects or organizations in the countryside of Senegal that work at revitalizing different aspects. So, working to um, working with artisans and people that are creating new forms of art and working with traditional things like weavings. Um, and Beersheba, the place where I was with Alex, um, was a sustainable farming kind of place, similar to Mary Lee, if that puts it into perspective. Um, and we also spent a lot of time exploring chess and going to the artisanal villages and the markets, and, uh, and we also went to a weaving, weaving school, which is interesting to see all the different kinds of art forms that are in Senegal. And now, Alex and, 
Oh, sorry, Spencer and Ben are going to talk about Indem. Yeah, Ethan mentioned Indem, and that's where Ben and I uh, were placed for service. Indem is a small village, um, sort of in the more into the interior of the country from Chess. Um, it's out uh, out in the desert there, and there's two. Uh, main things that we should mention about Indem that are pretty significant. The first of which is that it's centered around an artisanal village. Uh, so most of the members of the village, um, this, the inhabitants of the village, work in this artisanal village, um, weaving or doing other things with textiles uh, and things like that. And then the second important thing is that Indem is a very um, religious community. Um, most of the people who live there are Baifal, which is a subset of the biggest um, Muslim group uh, in Senegal. Uh, and so when we were there, we lived, we didn't live with any particular host families. The village was um, so small that Ben and I just shared a, a small room there, and then we rotated which uh, families uh, within the village to eat our meals at. And Ben's going to talk a little bit more about what the Bifal are. Um, yeah, so the village we were living in was about total 10 families. This is the center of the village here, was just this one little gazebo. We spent a lot of time there. Um, but as Spencer said, we rotated through eating with the different families there and got to eat with, uh, I think, everyone in the village in our time there. Uh, the village of Indem, where we were, was actually separate. It had become a Dara, which is the, the religious community there, under a Marabou, who is their religious leader. So on one of our first weekends, we were just kind of told to uh, pack up your stuff and we're leaving and all of the men in the village went to visit our marabou, our religious leader, who had started a new village farther on the interior of Senegal, um, and we got to go and meet him. The Baifal is, um, as Spencer said, a subset of the Morid Brotherhood, so they don't fast during Ramadan, they don't pray five times a day. All of their religious devotion, their prayer is through their work, so they're very work-centered. Um, Ndem was based around a set of workshops or ateliers where uh, they created a lot of cloth products, a lot of clothing that was shipped throughout Senegal and internationally. So um, for my service, I was working in these workshops, sewing clothing and collecting scraps. Um, fashion is a very important part of Senegalese culture and it's very important to the Baifal specifically because um, they're also environmentalism and staying connected to nature and to other people is very important to them. So all of the Bifal's own clothing is made from the scraps for the other clothing they make because they try to waste literally nothing. Um, so the village we were in was also very spare. I think no one's house was larger than about two rooms because staying connected to nature and living simply and focusing on community with other people was the most important part of that to everyone. Um, and so Spencer's assignment was a little more focused around the environmentalism aspect of that. Yeah, so on top of the workshop there in Indem, there's also uh, a garden slash nursery there, um, and that's where I spent much of my service. Um, so on the right, yeah, on the right is sort of my boss during service, his name was Sheikh, um, and Sheikh made it clear that I um, that the service was going to be pretty unstructured for me. I could come and go into the garden as much or as little as I wanted to. Um, but one thing he told me that sort of stuck with me the whole time I was working in the garden was that Sheikh is by fall, and he, and he was talking about um, sort of his um, religious um, take on life. And he said, um, 
yeah, he doesn't pray five times a day, um, but through his work, he's praying throughout the day continuously. Um, and so that sort of highlighted um, the Bifalls, um, sort of the spiritual aspect of the Bifalls connection to nature there. Um, and through my work um, in the garden, I got to experience that more and more and understand a little bit more about how they viewed um, nature um, spiritually. Um, and so I went usually to the garden um, every morning after breakfast for a couple hours. A lot of it was just seemingly mundane tasks, like I would water the same plants over and over and over every single day. Um, maybe plant, plant some trees or some sunflowers, and then take a break as it got too hot during the day, and then in the evening I would go back maybe and, and water a bit more. And all that work, um, like I said, seemingly kind of mundane, um, but there was something um, soothing um, and reflective and meditative about just um, sort of working um, in the garden every morning, um, despite the heat and the exhaustion. Um, and through that, I began to understand a bit more um, about what Sheikh meant when he said that he was praying sort of throughout um, his entire day um, while he was working there. Um, and so through that understanding, I also built a bit more understanding of what these um, people living sort of out in the desert experience when it comes to um, the effects of climate change. Um, and so this garden, um, the soil is very sandy. Um, it's hard to get things to grow. And um, that's in part due to the sort of disadvantageous location of Ndem. Um, Ndem is, is in part of the Sahel region uh, of Senegal, which is experiencing um, um, pretty severe desertification and has been over the past um, decade um, or so more severely than in the past. Um, and what that means is, um, despite being the rainy season, the rains come um, less and less often. Um, and so uh, every, uh, someone in the village told me that they, like sort of every year they hope, they just hope that the rainy season is gonna be a good one. Um, because in the garden, not only do they plant trees and stuff for nursery and flowers, but they also um, get a lot of their vegetables um, from the garden there. Um, and so they hope that the rainy season is, is fruitful. Um, but often, more increasingly, it isn't. And so the rains come um, pretty few and far between. Um, but when they do come, it's usually pretty intense. Um, so I took this photo moments before a big rain sandstorm enveloped uh, the village. Um, and so storms like this, um, they come, like I said, not very often, um, but when they do, they create just a ton of erosion because they're so extreme, um, and it eliminates a lot of the, um, the topsoil, and it makes things pretty difficult um, when it comes to growing. Um, and so um, through working in the garden and living in Indem, um, sort of seeing these, um, these effects firsthand of climate change, uh, and somehow gaining a, a more understanding of a, a religious connection to nature that the Bifal had. Um, service ended up being a pretty powerful experience for me. Um, I thought this photo was pretty fitting. It was a nice um, sunset um, in the garden one day. Um, Naomi's gonna come talk a bit more about her service experience as well. Hi, so for my service, my partner and I, Morgan, were able to go to a small rural village called Gorom or Gorom, Gorom One. And this is a village, technically right outside of the village is where we worked, in a compound clinic that gave various general medical maternity and dentistry services to the local population and to the surrounding populations and cities. It's situated on the coast in between three of the larger cities of Senegal, Chess, Rufisk, and Dakar. And the compound itself has 11 workers and three different types of 
sections of work, but we ourselves were in the clinic and myself specifically in the pharmacy. So above you can see the clinic once it's closed down, it was opened in 2008 by a couple who came who were affiliated with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, um, from France. And it started off as just a small clinic to kind of assess the health needs and the pharmaceutical needs of the area and started growing in size until this was built and opened in 2008. And then a second development in 2017 opened up a modern, fully furnished dentistry cabinet and maternity center where you can get pre-postnatal care and also give birth in the facility. Morgan worked a little bit in the maternity center and I myself was in the pharmacy where I was given prescriptions, prepped the prescriptions, and then gave them to the doctor who explained the prescriptions and gave them to the patients. In addition to that, we did some other work. I was able to attempt to do some, some minor testing and help with patients, but um, definitely goofed that up due to my lack of Wolof language. Um, but it was really fun and I learned a lot. And my French grew a lot through this experience, such that in the last week I was able to do some translations um, for patient care between some missionaries who were sick and needing care and the um, French and Wolof-speaking Senegalese doctors in the clinic. In addition to that, we um, made a millet, peanut, bean-based flour called sunjuf, which was served we made it from start to finish, so we got all the beans, mixed them together, brought them to a mill, turned it into flour, mixed it in a big pot over a fire for hours and got blisters on our hands, and then packaged it into these small things and sold them for a reduced price to help give nutrition to malnourished children and young mothers. Um, not only did this compound focus on healthcare in the area, though, it had several different sectors as well as I kind of touched on earlier. There was a, um, a music facility um, in that big building you saw in the first picture, which is also where we took all our meals and had chapel. I should mention this is an evangelicalist-based organization. And so they had a music program where people could come in and learn music, and also a discipleship program where people would come in and learn about um, religion and then go out across Senegal into neighboring countries in an attempt to um, spread their beliefs in that religion. There was also um, activities we did every Wednesday. We'd go into the uh, village of Gorom and we'd have like potato sack races or games or sing songs and have snacks. And that was always a fun activity to kind of engage in the community of the town that we were trying to service because the compound clinic was like its own little ecosystem of people that didn't always reach out into the broader community. So that definitely made intentional efforts to do that. There was also a beautiful garden just on the outskirts of the compound, within the compound. And there you could get mint and legumes and mangoes and lemons and all sorts of delicious greens. We stayed here in a dormitory. I also didn't have a host family, but instead the people that I lived and worked with became like a family slash college dorm slash coworker relationship. And it was great. Um, I lived in the low window with the star with Morgan, and there was a kitchen in there, washroom, showers, but we, like I said, there was a larger kitchen and we took all our meals together communally over large plates. Um, this, are, this is the group of people that I mostly worked with, minus a few individuals. Uh, they really did become like friends, family, and I deeply, deeply value the connections I was able to make there. This is a little trip we made out to the beach, which was super fun, and we actually caught to talk a little bit about the food that we ate, 
we caught a sea snail about this big, and we brought a couple of them back, and we cooked them up and we ate them. And that was actually pretty good. And so living really close to the coast, we had a lot of fish and seafood in our diet. And so um, Lucas will talk later a little bit more about some of the general food dishes, but some different things that my compound did is we ate a lot of gumbo, and there's a big agriculture village right next to ours, and so we had a pie de pois, like, kind of like a pea soup, and a lot of different vegetables. Um, like I said, the people that I worked with really became like family, and at the end, they threw us a big going away party, and we dressed up in our um, Senegalese outfits that our previous host families had given us, and so mine is a serer dress that my family had given to me, and I just have to say, I'm not talking about my family, but I loved my family. And we had a big party and danced and talked and played games and shared stories about our, our time together. And it was just a beautiful experience all around and definitely a place that I would want to go back to in the future. I'm now going to welcome up Lucas to talk some about the fashion. Hello. Uh, so bear with me. I'm sick. That's why I'm wearing a hat and gloves. This would not typically be part of the Senegalese garb because it is very hot. Um, but for today, bear with me. Just imagine it's just this. Um, so as Ben mentioned before, and as you've probably noticed from some of these pictures, uh, fashion is huge in Senegal. Um, pretty much everywhere you go, you can see just a wide range of outfits, uh, ranging from the traditional garb, uh, which is more of this stuff, uh, known as the boo-boo. Uh, it's a West, West African traditional garb. And uh, then streetwear as well is also very, very big and important. Um, so it's an important form of personal expression. And you can see in the boo-boos, which are the traditional garbs, um, they, the patterns can range from things like geometric patterns and uh, depictions of nature to expressions of faith and family. Um, and so one thing that's, that's really interesting about the boo-boo is that the, uh, the fabric is used is uh, Dutch wax or batik fabric, which originally comes from Indonesia, but the Dutch brought it over to West Africa. And so you can see that in, in a variety of countries. Um, very interesting, very shiny, very colorful. This is the fabric that I am wearing now. Um, yeah, really, really, really cool stuff. Uh, and I really appreciated during my time in Senegal, everywhere I went, every day uh, when I was walking around the city, just seeing a huge range of colors and patterns. Um, really exciting. Um, yeah, and unfortunately, we didn't, I didn't have a lot of pictures in this slide of the fashion, but this guy right here, I just thought that he looked really cool. He knew what he was doing. Um, so I just want to give a shout out to him. Um, but so streetwear would be worn all the time, but boo-boos would be, you, you could wear boo-boos whenever you wanted, but they would be uh, something that would express kind of your, your social standing, your class, um, what, what sort of, basically how you, how you fit into the, the culture. Um, and you would wear them to celebratory events or kind of more important things. Uh, and in my opinion, one of the best places to see really good fashion uh, were weddings, and I had the opportunity to go to a handful of weddings, like four or five. Um, wasn't invited to any of them, but I just kind of showed up. Um, I, think, I think that's the way you do it, I don't know. Um, but one thing that was really nice about them was they, they, they block off the streets, uh, they'd set up these huge canopies, these tents, and get a big sound speaker system, get some live performers, about a million plastic chairs, and just give food and drink, 
and conversation to anybody who came, even if they were strangers. Um, and so that kind of ties into teranga, which is the Wolof word that can kind of be translated into hospitality. Uh, and I think it's something that all of our group of students uh, felt pretty much every day while we were in Senegal. Um, and I think one of the ways that, that we felt it the most was through food and through meals. So as I mentioned, at weddings, I showed up. Nobody knew who I was, but they gave me food and drink, uh, and it was wonderful. Um, as well as my family always cooked these wonderful meals. So we've got a couple pictures of the food. Uh, Naomi talked about a little bit. Um, we got chebijen and yasa, which are these uh, rice and onion and chicken and fish dishes, um, which is so delicious. I'm not really much of a food guy, but I loved them. Um, and the only problem was that it would take a really, really, really long time for me to eat because they would give me portions that were like this big, and my stomach is like this big. And also, my family's had it down to a science when it comes to getting the bones out of the fish, but it would take me about an hour and a half to do that. So it's an acquired skill, I think, but nonetheless, the food is very delicious, and I ate wonderfully every single day. Um, so now to talk a little bit more about Teranga and what that meant for kind of the family context, we've got Alex. Come on up, Alex. Well, we've got more food coming. All right. Um, and as you can see, I also have a picture of, this was my last meal with my family um, on the left, and it kind of shows um, not all of them are present, but that was my favorite dish. Uh, it was yasa poulet. It was a caramelized onion and chicken dish. And I was pretty excited to get that for the last meal. So that was exciting. Um, you also can see the house that I lived in um, is the other picture, um, along with my youngest brother, whose name was Dom, and he was 15. I had another brother who was 17 named Papa. And then I had a father named Papa as well. <laughs> Um, which actually translates exactly the same as English, so I didn't quite understand how that worked. But <laughs> I had also a mother, um, um, and then an older sister named Jenaba, and she had um, a daughter as well. So I had a niece, and then there was an older brother named Abu, but he was uh, serving as a firefighter, so he wasn't there. Although I did get to go to a, a wedding with him once, so that was kind of exciting. Um, you can also see in our house, the big tree is a mango tree. So I came back to visit during service um, as my birthday fell on SSD, so I got to celebrate with my host family. Um, and so I got to eat lots of mangoes, which was very exciting for me. Um, this is right after I was gift, given a boo-boo by my family. Um, there, and it shows kind of better. Um, my father is quite clearly um, the one on the right. but. <laughs> and he was always—he was one of the uh, the best dressed um, men. He was always wearing his his hat and his boo boo, and he had many different ones that he would wear. And both of my parents were teachers, and so they would be teaching during the day. Um, and also with the boo boo, I thought that I um, blended in quite well with the locals. <laughs> you could barely tell me apart. Um, <laughs> and this kind of shows so. The way the houses are structured in Senegal um, is it's kind of compound-like with walls around, and um, most people have animals. Uh, sheep are very common, but because of the warm temperature, the sheep don't have wool like we would expect, so they look a lot more like goats, which is kind of a mistake I still make, is thinking that they're goats. But uh, 
so the animals were kept on the top stories of the house to prevent um, people from stealing them. And so what that meant was occasionally you were woken up by um, sheep ramming themselves against the walls at <laughs> odd hours of the night. Um, but here you can see the sheep, they were, the pen was getting cleaned out, so they were busy snacking on some mango leaves. And then the other picture shows my two brothers in the room that we stayed in. Um, you can kind of see the mosquito nets that we had, and that was where we spent most of the time watching um, pirated TV shows on the laptop, and <laughs> that was just kind of getting to hang out in general. It was, so it was a very great experience with family, and I think most of our learning and experiences that we had in Senegal were due to living with the host families that we had. Um, and so I think that's, um, for the most part, our Senegal SST experience. Uh, we all learned and were um, given the opportunity to grow in different ways and had unique experiences. Um, and I hope that if you haven't gone on SST, that that's a chance that you are given. Um, and I would recommend Senegal. It's a very nice place to stay personally, that's what I thought. So. That, that's our convocation this morning. Thanks for coming.